So we're back in John. We're going to be in John chapter 11. And, um, you know, this is, uh, what, January the 2nd? Is that right? Um, and uh, in, in some ways, it's kind of an arbitrary day. I, I don't think it necessarily lines up with any, you know, astronomical uh, events or anything. It's, um, uh, you know, just a manifestation of how the calendar was organized back in the day. But uh, it is a day that, or this time of year, I guess, is, is a time when, when people are thinking about making plans for the year and, and um, you know, New Year's resolutions and all those sorts of things. And it's, it's a transition time uh, for uh, a lot of people. Uh, certainly, um, you know, things change. It's a new insurance year, right? So I, I know that for the next uh, month or so, we'll be getting people, can you transition this medicine to this new pharmacy because my insurance changed? Or, you know, there's a... Uh, certain laws that go into effect this time of year. So there's a lot of things that are changing and in some respects where we are in our lesson is also kind of a shift. So when last we left um, uh, Jesus and the gang in, in John chapter 10, this was the aftermath of the healing of the blind man. So there was a healing of the blind man in chapter 9. And then chapter 10 was uh, in the aftermath of that. And they, um, where Jesus uh, talks about being the good shepherd and the difference between good shepherds that look after their flock and are willing to die for their flock, uh, where he says, I am the good shepherd versus those that would climb over the fence and not be good shepherds and try to get past the, the gate. And of course, we know that he was referring to the Jewish elite. And as, as we wrap up that chapter, in verse 39 of chapter 10, it says, And again they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. And then in verse 40, we find out where he goes. He says, He went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first, and there he remained. And many came to him, and they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true, and many believed in him there. And that is where we find Jesus as we start chapter 11 today. He is, uh, he's left Jerusalem because he's been uh, under threat. Uh, They're seeking to arrest him, and... Um, uh, in some I guess you could kind of think, well, Jesus can pretty much take care of himself, but he may have also been concerned about his disciples. Uh, in any event, he is uh, east of Jerusalem, so much so that he's actually crossed the Jordan, and he's hanging out in this part of the, the world where, where John was doing his teaching and his baptizing and so forth. Um, this would have been a familiar area to, to people because that's how you went to Galilee. Um, if you went straight north of Jerusalem, which would have been the quickest way, that took you through Samaria. Well, as we know, you, a good Jew wouldn't want to go through Samaria, so you avoided that. So you crossed the Jordan um, in this area where Jesus was, and um, 
and then you head north after that. So this would have been a familiar area, but far enough to get him out of the immediate threat of the people that were trying to, to bother him. So let's begin in chapter 11, verse 1. And spoiler alert, this is the chapter where Lazarus is raised from the dead. That's this whole story. So in these first few verses, we're going to meet all the characters, uh, or at least many of the characters in this story. Verse 1. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. Now, we know Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, right? We've read the Bible. We know about this trio of siblings and how important they were. And John recognizes that this is a famous trio, especially Mary, and he, he talks about her in verse 2. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. Now he's telling us this because he would have assumed that everybody knows this story. And this is um, evidence for some people saying, well, um, maybe John was writing mostly to Christians. Well, certainly there were plenty of Christians who were aware of this story, um, but that, it doesn't mean that it was only written to them. But in any event, he tells us this even though we haven't gotten to that part of the story yet. We're going to hear that next chapter, but John wants to go ahead and, and just remind us, okay, this was the same Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment. Verse 3. So, the sisters sent to him, that is to Jesus, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. So they send a messenger to Jesus. Now, there was a Bethany on the other side of the Jordan, which is kind of where Jesus is now. But Mary and Martha and Lazarus are in the Bethany that is just about two miles from Jerusalem. It's, very, it's a, a suburb, you might say, of Jerusalem. It's close. So it said, Lord, he whom you love is ill. Verse 4, but when Jesus heard it, he said, and presumably he's telling this to the messenger that they sent. But he says, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, we don't know 100%, but presumably when a messenger comes to deliver a message, um, you go ahead and give them the reply. And I think that's fair to assume that that's what's happening here. So Jesus tells the messenger, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. So this is a message of comfort, so to speak, that the messenger can take back to Mary and Martha uh, and as far as the messenger goes, to Lazarus as well. Verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Because of that order, the way those are described, a lot of people think Martha may have been the oldest uh, of the trio. That uh, That's why her name may be listed first. In any event, um, we always talk about Mary and Martha because in one of the stories in Luke, you know, Martha, uh, Mary kind of gets you know, her moment to shine. But uh, here we have uh, Martha listed first. In verse 6, So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. 
which has always been of interest uh, to people. Okay, um, you know what's going on, you know everything. Um, why did you just linger for t a couple days um, without doing anything? And this is certainly evidence that Jesus is on his own timetable, right? He is interested and um, uh, aware and uh, engaged with what's going on over in Bethany. But he doesn't, he doesn't answer to Mary or Martha. He only answers to God. So he is on God's timetable. So he lingers a couple of days longer. And the way this reads in verse 7, it's only then that he fills in the disciples. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? So they're not enthused about this, right? And of course, I'm sure they're all concerned about Jesus' safety, but it would be human nature to think they're not so thrilled about going back there either. Have you forgotten? They were just looking to stone you? Verse 9, Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. That's all true, right? How many people have stumbled in the middle of the night? Yes. Um, sometimes I stumble in the middle of the day, but um, but at least it's it's not because of uh, not being able to see, maybe just not paying attention. But in any event, Jesus says, uh, "Are there not twelve hours in the day? Anyone walks in the day does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. If anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him." So. Several things here. Um, he's basically saying, you know, because he's already said, I'm the light of the world, right? There are many of these I am statements. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the light of the world. You know, So he's reminding them, as long as you're with me, you're going to be okay. But also there's this, aren't there 12 hours in a day? It's almost a little hint. It says, you know, I've, got, I've only got a, a finite time to do what needs to be done. There's not an infinite amount of time. They're just 12 hours in a day. And so we, this, we don't normally hear Jesus talking like this, so we, we get the sense that John's putting in this detail here to kind of clue us in, okay, um, our narrative has kind of been rolling along. We hear them. We have a miracle, and then we have some discussion, and we have another sign, and we have some discussion, and... But things are starting to change here. There's a time limit that we need to be aware of. Verse 11. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's falling asleep, he will recover. In other words, good. I'm glad he's resting. No, 
Verse 13 says, Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I'm glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So the big part of all this is he's explaining why he really does need to go to Bethany near Jerusalem. Um, he needs to go. Lazarus has died, and they obviously knew how close he was to them. And just like most communities, uh, when someone dies, you gather around the family, right? You support them, and it's our modern dispersion, you know, where uh, we're all spread apart from very often places where we grew up and that sort of thing. But um, in any event, this was an occasion for people to come together and to support uh, the family. So that that would have made sense to them. Okay, I see why we need to go. Um, but then he has this other thing, which is kind of weird. I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe. So they had probably been around Jesus enough to know by this point that, okay, there must be something else going on that we don't really know. In any event, they weren't. They weren't excited about it. Verse 16, So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go that we may die with him. Uh, they don't. He doesn't mean Lazarus. He means die with Jesus because he thinks pretty much, okay, this is it. Uh, which puts a different cast on what you might think about Thomas, right? Uh, John mentions Thomas more than any other of the synoptic gospels, and uh, we always remember the, the the doubting Thomas, you know, Lord, I won't believe unless I put my hands, you know, in your side and so forth. But I think what we can, putting that together with this, we have maybe a Thomas who is a little slow to put it all together perhaps but he appears to be one of the most courageous ones of the bunch he's like alright buckle up let's go uh, even thinking that he wasn't going to make it out alive verse 17 now when Jesus came he had found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So just as we said. So they would have had acquaintances who lived in Jerusalem, and they would have come out uh, to, to mourn with them, uh, to support them, and um, to be with them. And that's exactly what had happened. And John is telling us that, you know, how close the two cities were together, and so forth. Verse 20. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. So we know that Martha was always the one to take the initiative. Uh, it would have been a little... Uh, this would have been a little unusual. Typically, if you were mourning, you would stay at the house, and they would come to see you. But Martha takes the initiative and goes on out to meet Jesus. And she says, Martha says to Jesus, verse 21, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. 
But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. So she starts off with what sounds a little accusatory, like, what took you so long? I mean, we can kind of hear a little bit of that in there. But I think if we just give it full benefit of the doubt, she's just stating the facts. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. In other words, we've seen you heal people that were sick. And I really believe, had you been here, which obviously you didn't make it in time, something probably kept you, but, um, you know, it's too bad because if you had been here, I, I know that you could have done something. Um, but she goes forward in verse 22, said, but, but even now, I trust you to kind of make things right, you know, that somehow... Um, you might be still be able to do something. I'm not sure what she has in mind at that point. Uh, I think it's pretty clear from the verses that we'll read that she's not thinking that he's going to bring him back to life. Um, she's just saying, I, I, I know that God is still with you, that God is going to give you whatever you ask. Verse 23, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. So she's like, I know. I know he will. And and those words are words that we would use today, right, to comfort someone, right? I know that, you know, this Christian saint that has uh, died, they're going to be raised again on the last day. We're not expecting them to be raised back to life either. But it is of comfort to know and in this opinion about the resurrection, um, this wasn't um, believed by everyone. Uh, we've talked before that you know there were the Pharisees, there were the Sadducees. The Pharisees believed that there was such a thing as a resurrection. The Sadducees, not so much. Um, but she's putting it out there that she believes in the resurrection. And in verse 25, we have another one of these I am comments. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Man, just nothing like putting her on the spot. She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God who is coming into the world. One kind of unique thing about this chapter, which is different, usually the way John unfolds the story, we get uh, the sign. Remember, he's picking out miracles, but he's picking out miracles as a sign <coughs> to make a point about who Jesus is, why he came, um, what his powers are, you know, those are the reasons that from chapter 2 forward that he has been um, unfolding this. So usually we see the, the sign and then we have the discussion. Just like the blind man and then there was discussion afterwards. This chapter is backwards. All of the discussion, all of the unpacking of the concept is happening as Jesus talks to Mary and Martha and his disciples before the miracle. 
So just keep that in mind. It's a, it's a little backwards. It's kind of a reverse approach. But even now, he is, he is setting the stage for he knows what's going to happen. And, and um, it's almost like it's different where John has been the one unfolding the story. In this case, Jesus is the one that is breaking down what's going to happen and, and then the, the big reveal, as we might say. Verse 27, again, Martha re- replies, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. Verse 28, When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying, it sounds familiar. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her were also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. So now he's got Mary and all those people that were following her, the, the mourners and so forth, some of whom, you know, there's always the close family. There's the extended family. There are acquaintances. And I hope this doesn't sound bad, but then there are those people that seem to show up at every funeral. Do you know these people? I mean, God bless them. Maybe they just want to offer that support. I, I think, that, that, okay. But it does seem, I don't know, that there are those people. So the whole entourage is out there. Verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who, of course, they were all Jews, right? So when he says it, and the Jews, I think he means the ones that were more peripherally engaged, the ones that had come from Jerusalem, the one who probably probably included a few Pharisees along the way, or at least those who might have had connections with them. In other words, the, the people who were... Um, maybe not all in yet, you know, on the periphery of what was going on. And it says, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews that had come her were also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Now, forever, when I've read this, I have pictured a Jesus overcome with sadness and emotion. Apparently that is not what this means. You ever been around horses? And you go to turn the horse in a way that she doesn't want to go. I, my horse was a she. And you get this snort. <clears throat> you know, this, this snort, right? My dog does this sometimes too. Where they are not a they are not about it. It's 
that's the work where Jesus is the commentators mostly agree on this Jesus is mad his emotion is he's mad so what's he mad at and you have to assume he's just mad at the whole thing he's mad that for still a little while death gets to win or at least that's how it's looking right now and 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 he's when it says he is moved in his spirit and greatly troubled in the margin there you just write he was he was mad he was angry he was disgusted as the whole thing you can just that huff I guess is the way we would say it for humans and it puts a little different cast when it says where have you laid him where'd you put him and they said to him Lord come and see so now we have this verse Jesus wept so at this point he is moved to sadness and the Jews said see how he loved them but some of them said could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man could also have kept this man from dying which is interesting that those on the in the peripheral zone are the ones saying this right so at least by now they're kind of in agreement he's got some powers he's got the ability to do some miracles and um, if he had only been here they're kind of echoing the sentiment from the sisters you know maybe maybe he couldn't have died but even even then they kind of feel like well it's too late now right you know they could have kept him from dying maybe maybe he was powerful enough to do that but you know can't do anything now verse 38 then Jesus deeply moved again that's that same word that deeply moved that you saw back in verse 33 that's that's the same word he's sad but he's also mad came to the tomb it was a cave and a stone lay against it this is one of the evidences there are others suggesting that um, uh, Martha and Mary were um, a decent uh, family uh, economically they had some money uh, remember when when Jesus dies and he gets laid in this tomb that has a stone that rolls over it that that was one that Nicodemus had prepared right and um, that he was rich uh, this was kind of a a rich feature where you would have um, a family cave with multiple burial shelves basically within it 
uh, because you would be opening the tomb, placing the body on one of those shelves. After three or four years, when decomposition had happened, then you would go in, collect the bones in a special bone box, ossuary it's called, um, and then that place would be good to go for the next person. Um, so to have that kind of a, like your own little private mausoleum, uh, that was a sign of, of some wealth there. Anyway, it was a cave, a stone lay against it. Verse 39, Jesus says, take away the stone. Martha, always in charge, the sister of the dead man. And again, it's pretty clear at this point, he's dead. The sister of the dead man said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Um, so I had not really been aware. Apparently in Jewish lore, uh, the rabbis taught that after you died, the soul hung out around the body for about three days in case it needed to go back into the body, in case the body woke back up. I don't make this stuff up. Uh, but that was the thing. So, so by the fourth day, even, even whatever hope you had was gone. And so everyone was convinced, hey, this is the fourth day. Um, and by this time, there's going to be a smell. Um, and the whole purpose of the um, application of the spices and you know embalming, so to speak, was nothing more than just to keep the odor down. I'm guessing there wasn't a rubber gasket on the cave. Jesus said to her, verse 40, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around so that they may believe that you sent me. This phrasing, I knew that you always hear me, uh, I'm sorry, um, the Father, I thank you that you've heard me, is interesting. First of all, it means that Jesus has already been praying about this. He's already conferred with God. He already knows where this is heading. Uh, he's already aligned himself with God's will. But there is, a, there is a passage in Psalm, I think it's 118, where this same phrasing is used. And like we've said many times that the rabbis would often use snippets of old scripture in their speech to connect people with previous teachings just by mentioning so when he uses these same words I thank you that you have heard me um, I know that you always hear me um, Psalm 118 includes a lot of famous verses including uh, the one about Jesus being the cornerstone, uh, and so forth. So it's just one of those little references. Verse 43, when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, 
Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Now, of all the times that John decides to be brief, why, why now? I want a little more uh, of this picture, right? I mean, he would have been wrapped up and apparently shuffling out blindly, but shuffling out, um, and, uh, and I guess just standing there as everybody is, probably half the crowd has passed out, um, for sure. Um, and, uh, and he says, unbind him and let him go. And that's, that's, that's the miracle. So, you have to go back and read again. We're not going to do this. But you have to go back and read again all that stuff that Jesus was saying ahead of time. Including the part, I am the resurrection. And it's a compound, right? I am the resurrection. I am the life. See? I'm the resurrection. I am the life. And, you know, as I read this and was thinking about this, I think about so much how in our culture this concept of reincarnation has permeated. Have you guys noticed this? Yes. This notion that you get another chance at life in some future state, you know, of course it's right out of, you know, Hinduism and other religions. Um, that's, that's not what scripture teaches. And, and this shows that, that there will be resurrection, but only because of Jesus. He is the resurrection and the life. Um, Um, and any any religion to the contrary is just wrong, and they just are. I mean, it's there's a real sadness to people that believe that because by by thinking about that, they acknowledge that their current trip around the cycle isn't going so well, right? Because they're hoping it turns out better the next time. Um, anyway. Verse 45. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Right? So, we have, like most of the time, when, when you see a, a sign, a miracle, showing, I mean, without a doubt... You know, this, this would have been the most dramatic miracle that he had done, right? Now, there had been other more quiet, you know, um, healings and uh, even resurrections they had done. But this was, you had a crowd. You had a crowd of people who had all gathered around. And here you have this polarizing event. Some could not help but believe 
this is the Messiah. Who else has a power over death, right? But then you have others who just want to tattle. Let's call a meeting. Verse 47. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. You know, interestingly, they are not saying, How should we go and confess our sins and worship this man of God? They're not saying any of that. Verse 48. If we let him go in like this, everybody's going to believe him. And then the Romans will come and take away our place and our nation. As we've seen several times in the past where John will make truth unexpectedly come out of the words of, you might say, the ungodly, we have it again. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was a high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all. Don't you understand it is better for you that one man should die for the people and not the whole nation should perish? Right? He got it accidentally. And it says he did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. In other words, God had given him some power because of the role that he was in that he would prophesy the truth. It's just he didn't he didn't prophesy what he thought he was prophesying. He prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. Isn't it interesting, that little verse that gets tucked in there, who's he talking about? He's talking about us. He's talking about the Gentiles. Not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. So not all the children abroad are in that nation. Praise God for that. And of course, from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. And again, we see this transition, verse 54. Therefore, Jesus no longer walked openly among the Jews, but he went from there to the region of the wilderness to a town called Ephraim, where there he stayed with the disciples. Passover was at hand. Many people were coming to the country to Jerusalem before Passover to purify themselves. They were looking for Jesus and saying to one another as they stood in the temple, What do you think? You think he won't come to the feast at all? Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he should let them know so that they might arrest him. So now, John has brought us all the way up to the time when you know, this, what we would call the Passion Week is very close. It's very close. People are starting to gather, right? If you think about it, all that had to happen for the purification, everything, you, right, you got to get your, your animals in order, you got to be, you're going to sacrifice, you got to, there's a lot going on. And that's, that's where we end the story. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And for all of the, those that are God's children, not just the nation of Israel. All right, we better close. Father, we thank you that we can be called in that group. We thank you for Jesus, through whom we have the hope of the resurrection, and we can um, only feel the sting of death a little. 
and that we can have confidence in that future state with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, everybody.